This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Airlines really struggle with their accessibility policies and procedure. Air Canada is in the crosshairs again. Michelle McQuig is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Michelle has the latest on an airline accessibility fail. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. Michelle, it's 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 an old news story, but it's always uh, new whenever it happens. What are the relevant details on this Air Canada flight to Las Vegas? Yeah, yeah I... I, I wish I could say that this will come as a shock to most of our listeners, but it won't because I'm sure some of you have experienced things like it in the past. Uh, in this case, we have a gentleman from Prince George, British Columbia, named Rodney Hodgins, who is a wheelchair user and who took a flight to Las Vegas with his wife in August to celebrate a wedding anniversary. And when they got there, typically, apparently, our Canada employs some kind of third-party agency to help uh, people with mobility devices off their aircraft. And in this case, uh, no one was available. And apparently a flight attendant asked Rodney Hodgins, can you make your way off the plane by yourself? And he said, uh, no, I cannot do that because I don't have my wheelchair here. As again, many of you know, wheelchairs are typically treated as luggage and packed away in the cargo hold. So no, he would not have had access to his wheelchair. He was asked this a second time. And at that point he said, this is ridiculous. Clearly no one's coming to help. And what he wound up doing was dragging himself off the plane. He had his wife hold on to his legs and he used his upper body strength to propel himself oh down the gosh. aisle to the front of the aircraft. It's it truly like it's it. And he he called it dehumanizing. And I, I doubt very much that anyone will quarrel with that characterization. Uh, yeah. When when they talk about like having uh, treated with dignity when you have disability, I would say that's mm -hmm. probably about uh, the least bit of dignified uh, as it can get. And Michelle, you, you rightly identified that one of the bigger, broader issues here is access to wheelchairs on planes or mobility devices on planes and making the relevant adjustments to make sure either a wheelchair user can stay in their own wheelchair on a plane or having at least some semblance of mobility devices available to people. But leaving that aside, uh, that's that's a human right. That's a human that's rights. A that, that's yep. a human rights yep. uh, case all in and of itself. But how has the airline responded? The airline has responded a couple of different ways. They put out a statement saying that they're they're going to be reevaluating their um, third party partnerships in Las Vegas specifically. They didn't make many mention of any other routes or systemic adjustments, but they are going to look at the situation in Las Vegas. Uh, they did reach out to Rodney Hodgins with an offer of a $2,000 voucher, uh, which he's not particularly interested in. He, he's much more interested in... The voucher, yeah, so, so I can dehumanize mm -hmm. myself again. <laughs> he didn't say quite like that, but uh, his indication is that he, he's more interested in seeing them put that money towards improving their processes and their systems. Um, so that's been on the Air Canada front, but there has actually been some interesting responses at the federal level. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, Stephanie Cadieux, the, the Chief Accessibility Officer of Canada, apparently has reached out to him. Uh, she, in fact, tweeted earlier this month, some of you probably saw, that she had an experience of Air Canada and, and a missing wheelchair in her case. Um, she, he's also expected to speak to the Canadian Transportation Agency. They're, they, they reached out and they think they've got a call set up for today or tomorrow, sometime this week, anyhow. So 
um, in addition to Air Canada getting in touch, uh, he's heard from even higher up the chain. Yeah, the CTA just put out a ruling about a month ago about uh, about uh, airplanes, uh, airlines, and wheelchair access, and their the onus and obligation of airlines to take care of mobility devices and make sure their planes are appropriate for mobility devices. So there, there's a lot going on at the regulatory mm-hmm. side here, and stories like this are only a further highlighting of that. And Michelle, not that this has to do with anything, you don't need to comment on this. I'll move off it right away. Uh, Air Canada reported a 1.25 billion dollar profit last quarter. Let's leave it right there and uh, move on to uh, the labor side of the equation because there's a bit of breaking news this morning. You and I, not to pull back the curtain too much, you and I were emailing <laughs> last night at about 7 p.m. Eastern time and saying, okay, we've got to talk about these auto workers and negotiations. We've got to talk about Stellantis and Unifor and the possibility of a strike. And at midnight, there was a strike. And as of this morning, there is some breaking news. So what's the there latest? Sure is. <laughs> So uh, the strike that wasn't, uh, it lasted maybe for about eight hours, but it has now been called off because the union, Unifor, and Stellantis have renounced that they reached a tentative deal. Uh, What happened was the strike deadline for about 8,200 workers in this case, so a pretty substantial number. Um, The strike deadline for them to go off the job was 11.59 last night. And uh, in fact, that strike deadline passed. Uh, There was an announcement that those plans would move forward and those 8,200 people were on strike as of midnight. But uh, this morning, not too long after 8 o'clock, came word that they had in fact kept talking through the night. And here we are with a deal. Uh, We don't have any details yet, but there is a deal. So now the strike is off. I'm not even sure if they would have had a chance to assemble a picket line at any places. Yeah. Um, but uh, but here we are. And this it's worth noting, too, that this is pretty similar to what happened with Unifor and Ford, who had a – Unifor had a really remarkable run with this negotiation uh, effort with the automakers, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a sec. But it was very similar at Ford. There was a there was there was technically a strike, and it was called off very quickly as the negotiations kept going, and a deal ultimately got hammered out. Yeah, in in all three cases with the Canadian automakers, they either tiptoed right to the strike line. I believe that was the case with uh, General Motors, but Ford, I think it was. Yeah, but, but Ford, Ford and Stellantis, they both had an official strike, but then it ended uh, fairly quickly. I actually I actually wonder as an employee what you do there on Sunday night. Like you got you got you have to set an alarm clock for Monday morning to potentially show up to work uh, no matter whether there's a strike or not because at, at the rate things are going here there, there there's no uh, there's no strike days you got to yeah. make sure that the snooze alarm is not uh, being hit too many times on a Monday morning or at least that you're on whatever uh, you know group WhatsApp you need to get abreast of things or, yeah. or uh, email lists or uh, I'm sure Unifor is a massive organization I'm sure they have a very sophisticated communication apparatus to get the word out to members but yeah, uh, yeah. you're right that that's a bit of a logistical headache. Never, never turn off your alarm clock. Uh, Michelle, it, it actually, Unifor hit a couple late night deals last night, including with the St. Lawrence Seaway and updates on That's the story right. you had last week. But I'm, I, I, at this point, it looks like the overall labor picture in the North American auto industry is pretty much settled except for one holdout. Yeah. Um, General Motors, before, General General Motors in the United States. That, that's, United that's, States that's, that's, that's right. That's yeah. the only one left. The UAW hit deals with Stellantis and Ford. And at this point, it's it's just GM and the UAW. That's it. I mean, yeah. like six weeks ago, there was the possibility of all six being out for an extended period. And now there's just one outlier. It's totally true. Yeah, it was a good weekend for Stellantis at the bargaining table. They got deals with UAW on Saturday and Unifor today. Uh, so that one's done and dusted for them entirely on both sides. And you're right. Um, so apparently in the United States and here, even though Unifor was pushing for and got major gains, like we're talking 20% salary increases in the cases of Ford and, uh, and GM, 
and a num among a number of other gains. We don't have details on the Stellantis contracts yet, but we do know it's going to be patterned on a very similar premise, uh, and there's already indications that they got similar sorts of gains. UAW apparently had an even steeper hill to climb. The United Auto Workers is the union in the United States. Sorry, I should have explained that sooner. But uh, yeah, they had an even tougher road to hoe in that case because they had made bigger concessions over the years and had even steeper negotiations to navigate here. So mm -hmm. you're right. It's kind of remarkable that five out of six are done. And in Canada, it was really considered a huge win because any kind of labor disruptions were so minimal as to almost be a blip. Uh, mm -hmm. like, to be honest with you, I'd, I'd almost, I was rereading the Stellantis copy today and I had almost forgotten that there had been a, a brief strike at GM in Canada. Um, Ford was the one that went right to the line, I think. Yeah, um, but yeah. either way, a, a Lana Payne and, and Unifor, other uh, national president, um, are probably feeling pretty good right now because this was a huge, huge goal for them this year, and they achieved it with limited disruptions. Michelle, one more labor story to talk about. Another labor issue brewing, this time in the public sector, though. What's going on with the possibility of a Quebec public sector strike? Great question. <laughs> Um, this is a long-standing negotiation. What's happening in Quebec is that all the public sector workers are represented by a few, a handful of very large union federations that ultimately represent about 420,000 public sector workers of all stripes. You've got education workers and government workers and education workers and all kinds of categories captured here. Um, what's happened, though, is that months, like more than a year's worth of negotiations have now led to the point where the union has rejected the province's latest contract offer, and they are threatening to start ramping up strike action as of early next month. Um, it, what that means in their case is that they're looking at a one-day strike on November 6th, so with 420,000 people, though that's still uh, quite an impactful move. Um, other unions are thinking of one, one or two day strikes on November 8th and 9th. And if those continue and if there's still no deal reached, they have not taken a general strike off the table. And of mm -hmm. course, if that were to happen with 420,000 workers, um, then we have quite a serious disruption of a lot of services in Quebec. Yeah, it's a few weekends in a row they've actually held demonstrations across the province. So, so it's it's not just that oh they've they've given their they've given their union the possibility for a mandate. They've been oh, out no, there. Oh no, the mandate's in hand. They've yeah, got the yeah, mandate. yeah. They, like they, but they've also been, they've been walking the streets on the weekend. Like like it's it's a few weekends in a row they've taken to the streets to talk about this. So there there there's been lots of demonstrations. The, the, the sector is already speaking up. Absolutely, and more than that. All the federations that are negotiating negotiating on those deals have gone to their memberships and they secured strike mandates preemptively in the ninety percent range every time. Yeah. Sometimes even sometimes even higher. So yeah, they they are they have gone to the table with those strike mandates in hand. The province has known about this for quite some time. Like I said, this was a process that was unspooling very slowly. Things got really rolling on the negotiation front late 2022. So there's been wow. lots of time wow. to, to navigate this and to come to a deal. Um, there's been movement. Uh, the province is pushing back a little bit on, on some of the, they feel the union's been a bit hasty in rejecting this particular deal that was just tabled yesterday. And the union news conference happened quite shortly after it was tabled. Um, so there has been progress. The province has has moved some. There, in terms of, if we're looking at the baseline issue of wages, of course, there's many, many other issues at play here. But if we're looking just at wages, uh, they're still pretty far apart, though. The province is offering, uh, they call it a 14.8% increase over a five-year term. 
the union says it ultimately works out to be more like 10.3 and that it's considerably less than raises that legislature members gave themselves earlier this year and right. a whole lot less than contract deals that were reached with, with or excuse me, that were not reached with um, police in the province. Uh, they were being offered wages much higher than what the public sector workers were being offered and that deal was still rejected. So mm-hmm. uh, it seems like they're still a certain ways apart. Michelle, thank you for all these updates. It's much appreciated. My pleasure. That's Have a great week. Uh, we will talk to you on Friday. That's Michelle McQuig, weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up next, Disability Employment Awareness Month continues. Do you feel like the message is being received widely? There's been lots of conversation here. Have you been hearing it elsewhere? Kelly Braun Johnson has some opinions to share. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.